Um, We are working through a sermon series that we called or titled, In Christ Alone, The Life and the Church that Christ Builds. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so this idea of a Christianity that is dormant in the lives of those who claim to profess Jesus is anti-gospel. It is not the gospel at all. But for those of us whom Jesus has saved through his grace and through his mercy, that not only has he done that, but he has called us to a way to live, that he is building the life, that he is building the church. And so he does this in and through the person and work of Jesus. And so in the first three chapters inside of the book of Ephesians, it is all about our identity in Christ. This is who you are. 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 And the last three chapters, it has six chapters in it. The last three chapters are all because this is who you are in Jesus. This is what Jesus and the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life. And how do you know that? These are the fruits of what begins to happen. And so everything from the way we use our mouths, um, in speech to our anger to our marriage that we're going to come to in the book of, or in the month of September, I'm going to preach four weeks on marriage. So uh, be here for that. It'll be very important for you to do that. And so um, we see that there is this life that is to be lived inside of Jesus, and all of this kind of wraps around this idea of this wisdom that there is a practice of wisdom for those of us that are in Jesus that is very contrary to the wisdom of the world. So today I hope to be very practical um, for you. I've got, um, I pulled a Pastor Todd Crosby, also known as a Pastor John MacArthur. I've got, I don't have any kind of like, um, I've got points. I've got bullet points, so um, numbered points even. So if you're taking notes, they're going to be like several numbered points And also, I'm going to be like a spaghetti western up here, good old Clint Eastwood. I've got lots of scripture. We're going to let the Bible preach the Bible today. And so if you miss any of these addresses, please just let me know. I will email those out to you. Um, But the Bible talks a lot about wisdom. And I feel this pressure already of I know that this is going to be inadequate. I should have, in looking and, and forecasting, I should have spent a month talking about this. And I'm not going to be able to do that. But if you plan to die being a member here at Mission, eventually, before I die, I will get to all of those things, all right? So let's look at this. In verse 15 of chapter 5, and I hope that you have your Bible either on your device or or that black Bible that is close to you, because I want you to see that this is not coming from me, that this is coming from the Lord. We left off last week in verse 14, where Paul kind of quotes, and they don't really know for sure, either some Old Testament, probably Isaiah, he kind of forces some scriptures or some words or some poetry together, and he calls the believers to awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, that we have a propensity to be bent toward sleepiness, that we um, fall asleep. Some of you do that every Sunday. Bless you. Maybe you need to rest. All right? So in this, that we have this natural tendency inside of sin, Satan, and death in our lives to fall asleep, to to doze off. And yet the Bible is calling us to awake. That if we are in Christ, that he has literally called us from death, which is often equated inside of Scripture as being sleep. And, And yet Jesus has come and he has made us 
alive. And so he continues with this idea of being awake. And in verse 15, notice what he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Look carefully then at how you walk. Wise people are awake. Wise people pay careful attention to their walk. Inside of the Greek language, the word look carefully is this idea of continuing to do this. That it is an ongoing thing that you are continually to look careful as you step, right? If you're a parent and they have Legos and they leave Legos all over the place and you know what that experience is like, as you step in the middle of a night on a Lego and you cry out to Jesus or use some other colorful language um, to describe the pain and sorrow where you could not see. Though the Bible is calling you and I, as we are walking, which the term walk there means the conduct of your life. How are you living? What are the marks of your life? How are you, you know, if you're talking the talk, are you walking the walk? All those Christian, Christianese things that we love to slam together. The scripture is saying to us that as you are walking, the conduct of your life should be marked by one that is looking carefully because he or she is wise. They're not sleepwalking. I've got some really funny stories of how my dad used to play tricks on me as a kid when I would sleepwalk, and I would often be found using the bathroom in places that were not the toilet as my dad played with me. And um, also, um, we have a resident here who loves to sleepwalk in our midst, and I won't mention his name, he's sitting over here, and he can tell you lots of stories about him sleepwalking as well. The Bible is very clear not to be sleepwalkers, but that we are to be awake. Lots of bad things happen when you sleepwalk. Dangerous things happen when you sleepwalk. And so the Bible is telling us again to wake up, to pay careful attention to our lives and not to be lulled asleep into moral complacency that's defined by our culture. It will lull you to sleep. This culture makes us numb to the realities of the gospel. And this is marked because even within the church, we often find ourselves doing this. Jesus knows this. You know, on on the day before Jesus died upon the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has been crushed like an olive in an olive grove as he is being just wrought with the realization that he is about to drink the wrath of God for his people. And what does he say over and over inside of those passages? He tells the disciples to be awake, to wake up, to watch and to pray because there will be those who will come and that will lead them astray. Skip ahead. When Paul is planting the church at Ephesus, remember that story that we talked to several months ago as Paul is speaking to the elders there, he's like, I want you to be cautious. You know, remain vigilant, stay awake because they're going to become false teachers. They're going to be people that are going to show up to church and they're going to try to lead you astray. And that what was false will become right in the eyes of many. We become lulled and we we fall into the sleepiness because it's defined by our culture. As Paul is writing inside of the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, if you remember in that first chapter, as part of his prayer, what does he pray for this church? That God would impart wisdom to them through 
the Spirit. Now, it doesn't take somebody very smart, and we're not just simply talking about intellect when we talk about wisdom. When we're talking about biblical wisdom, we are talking about, yes, a sense of knowledge, a sense of intellect, a sense of understanding. However, true biblical wisdom is seeing all of life through the lens of the gospel, seeing all of life through the lens of the very scripture of God. But please get this. We're not just talking about the ability to ascend information or to receive information. That does not make you wise. Wisdom is intellect, knowledge in action. All right? It's the ability to place in the conduct of life these truths about whom God is. And yet the world is going to combat that with this idea that there is worldly wisdom and there is biblical wisdom. And uh, what happens a lot in church is, is that people like to mix those two things. And the gospel is very clear that if we're following after Jesus, if our identity is in Jesus, then there must be this complete, distinct understanding in the way in the which the world is living and how we should live as Christians. Let's just face it. There's a lot of dumb people in the world. If you watch the news over the last two weeks, I was watched it on repeat several times. The the crazy man in Yellowstone, who is if you've not seen this, the traffic is blocked because there is a large bison in the middle of the road. And this gentleman gets out in Yellowstone and tries to argue with a several thousand pound animal. All right. While all these people are videotaping this. You ever seen the show World's Dumbest Criminals? Right? I mean, we, this man ended up, they ended up arresting him because it's illegal to do that. And come to find out he was all jacked up on not Mountain Dew. All right? But you can watch it on the news. I mean, the, the world is filled with ignorance. The world is, is filled with a lot of, of, of ignorance. And the thing is, is that it's become the norm. It's worldly wisdom, and I'm telling you, it has embedded itself in the lives and minds of those who claim to be followers of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, Paul says, For the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. So God is going to say, the world is going to say that God is foolish. And God is going to say that the world and the way that they're thinking in their worldview, that it is foolish. But I want to give you who has the upper hand here. It's God. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14, it says, and it tells us that God will eventually destroy the wisdom of the world. That it was the wisdom of the world, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that led the Jews and the Romans to crucify Jesus. So we get this dichotomy, this, this, this situation, this tension between what does God have for us? Who is God? What does God want us to do? How does his conduct for our lives, how are we to live in this world, not of it, but in it, according to God's 
his identity, his standards, his will, and his wisdom versus what the world is constantly PRing, marketing, and just overwhelming us with how to live. Paul is addressing those very things. And so we see in verse 15, the first thing that you need to get is that wise people walk wisely, that they're awake, that they realize these things, that they've had these aha moments about the world and about what's going on in the world, that they, they see things very differently and distinctly than, than the common, what is most popular in the culture, and so they're attempting to live in a completely opposite way. Wise people walk wisely, according to verse 15. Verse 16, what does it say? It tells us, that making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Making best use of the time, because days are evil. The second thing that we didn't understand this morning is that wise people don't waste time. And this is where I feel some personal tension in the preaching this morning, that I should be spending a way more time than I'm going to give this the opportunity to. Wise people don't waste time. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. See, we are motivated as believers to live every moment in the wisdom of God because what do we know? Life is a vapor. Life is a vapor. The evil age and the culture that we are in will come to an end. And so the Bible tells us when it says making the best or, or making the most out of one's time inside of the original language, inside of the Greek here, literally the translation is, is that it's understood to be purchasing of something, to purchase the time. Better yet, to redeem one's time, that we take it back that it's being squandered, it's being badly stewarded, and that we are to take this. I spend a, about a two weeks with my college students every fall talking about this on the campus of Western Kentucky University, because if you have ever been a college student, you will quickly know what you become a graduate in is how to waste a lot of time. But the thing is, is that it doesn't stop at graduation. We just become older people with degrees and jobs who waste an exorbitant amount of time. And yet the Bible is very clear. He's like, we need to redeem our time. We need to be good stewards of our time. See, you can make uh, more money. You can get more stuff that you've lost. But one thing none of us can ever increase is in our time. Time is one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable commodity on the planet. And yet, I would argue, is the most wasted. Notice, Paul is saying this to people who lived 2,000 years ago. If he is having to warn people, all right, who did not have electricity or indoor plumbing or every Apple product that is known to man, 
and that they even have a tendency. You can see this if you've ever been to Africa, if you've ever been to a third world country, a fourth world country, you will quickly realize that there are people who don't even have all of these distractions that can continuously and professionally waste a lot of time. What's even more challenging is is when you try to show someone who lives in those types of culture a better way of doing it. They will look at you like you are crazy. Why? Because this is the way that we have always done it. Well, you're wasting time. It doesn't matter. This is the way that we have always done it. We are, again, professionals at doing this. If the Lord is having to remind people 2,000 years ago that they're not to waste time, how much more should we have to be reminded that we need to redeem the time that we have given? Life is this vapor. Young people, I cannot stress to you, I know that your parents have told you, it's like, you're going to be grown before you know it. And I want you to know there's so much truth in that. Your babies are going to grow up just like that. I mean, I was walking into Walmart this morning on my way to church, and before doing that, I love to just set myself in a great mood before coming here to worship, so I went to visit Walmart, and, and as I was going to Walmart and coming here, I was just like, I cannot believe that I've got two kids. I cannot believe, and I've heard my dad say things like, well, mentally, I don't feel as old as I am. And how strange that is. I mean, how many times have have you interacted, maybe even this morning? I mean, how's your week been? It's busy. It's busy. And things are really good, man. I'm tired. Because things are really busy. I heard from one preacher this week, he said that he was doing some interviews of some some kids, talking to them about their parents, about what they wish they had more from their parents of. And it it wasn't money, it wasn't um, all of these possessions. It's that these kids all said in this survey that they wish that their parents weren't so tired. We are busy. We are a busy people. I want you to know something this morning. I don't think that busyness is a sin. It's what we're being busy about that is the sin. Brothers and sisters, we are called to work. You're called to be busy. Busyness isn't bad, but it's what we're spending our time doing that is often a bad use or bad stewardship of that time that God has been given to us. We're busy about things that don't honor God. We're busy about things that don't um, cultivate a relationship with Jesus, cultivate a relationship with our wives, our husband, cultivate a a relationship with our neighbors, our kids, our family, all of these sorts of things. We are caught up in a busyness that is not godliness. Let's face it. The Lord set aside a standard for us to live. Work six, be off one. Now, I understand that because we're in Jesus, Jesus is our Sabbath. Your ultimate Sabbath rest will not be found in a day. Your ultimate Sabbath rest is going to be found in the person and work of Jesus. However, whether that's on Sundays or Mondays or Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, whatever works best for you and your family, and I can be the world's worst example of this, is that there should be a very distinct 24 hours that is set up in your life and your family's life that is different than all of those other days. 
No matter what is in your gut that's telling you, vacuum, do the dishes, right? Mow the grass. I think the principle that we get in Scripture is that there should be a day that is separate. And I would encourage you, for you, it, it can't happen necessarily for me because I'm, I'm working right now. It's a Sunday's work day for me. But for you, many of you in this room, that it should be a very distinct day. I would encourage you to make that a Sunday and that that daddies should very, be very well guarded and fenced for your home. That it is different you go to worship together on this day. That you spend time together as a family. That the yard should not be mowed on this day. Have you ever noticed that those of you who consistently have time with the Lord and are in your Bibles, you don't do that on Sundays? Because you've had enough, right? You've got enough from me this morning, from Pastor Justin or Pastor Todd. I think that we need to be working inside of our lives this very distinctiveness that you need a day of rest. I love this about Kathy Truett, you know, the guy who makes Christian chicken. And in that, that's why they're off on Sundays. Is why, for their people to go to work, but also he says even our machines need rest. By giving them the opportunity to have rest, we have less maintenance issues. And yet we are establishing inside of our lives between travel ball and little Johnny's all of his baseball and all of these sorts of activities. We've got to go, 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 go. And we wonder why our families are often falling apart. While we are so tired is because there's not a distinct day for you and your kids that we work hard so on this day we can rest hard. Now, before you all think, man, I'm just a workaholic, which you are exactly correct. Inside of this, inside of this idea of not wasting time and redeeming it, you need to understand that there is a redeeming moment called a nap. And sometimes the most godliest thing that you and I can do is to take a nap. That is redeeming a moment. We sleep less than any other period of time. All right? Do you get that? We sleep less than any other group of people in the history of time. Because I'm here to tell you, when the sun goes down 2,000 years ago, there ain't nothing to do. So you go to sleep. All right? We see this in Africa all the time. These people get up at the, the crack of dawn. Why? Because they get a lot of their labor done before the heat of the day. Right? There's a lot of wealth inside of that. Families, I cannot tell you enough about the importance. And please hear me. I'm not just simply saying that we go home on this Sabbath day and all we do is watch garbage all day long. That's counterproductive. But that we need to be laboring and working together to find rest for each other. That there needs to be Sabbath for us. needs to be there. needs to be found inside of us. Paul is advocating that believers use every hour as a productive way. We live as the Ephesians live in what? Evil times. 
The pressure to participate in evil is far more heavy than, than doing what is good. This is why Paul will tell the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Brothers and sisters, beloved, we are not saved by our works, but we work. Jesus does not guarantee you the inheritance of heaven based on your work. Jesus is taking you to heaven. So work. You ever seen the, the kind of quintessential, um, maybe an old television show where the train is taking off and somebody's trying to jump on the train, right? And they're, they're running behind the train as quickly as possible, as quickly as possible. They're trying to grab the, the pole that's randomly outside of the train, all right, or they're getting their friends, they want them to slide open the cargo so they can jump up in there, they lift somebody up in there. That's what, that's what salvation by works looks like. And I want you to know, you never get on the train. We need to chill out. You're on the train. But there's things to do to make this keep working for the health and the benefit of everyone who's on it. Jesus has called us to redeem this time, not to waste our time. How do I know that we as Christians, every time that we use the excuse, I don't have time, I know that that is a lie. I want you to raise your hand. I promise you'll be okay. Do you have a screen? Do you have a screen? Anything with a screen. Parents. How many of you guys get on your kids for playing iPad too much? Anybody? But your TV is always on? You're looking at your phone? Uh-oh, all the kids are like, yeah, you tell them, Pastor Eric. <laughs> Some of you finally woke. Have you ever thought about that? Get off your iPad! Quit it. Quit playing Fortnite. We're going to have to put some time frames on that as you're watching Grey's Anatomy or The Bachelor, right? As you're flipping for hours, right? See, the thing is, I hear from people all the time, I don't have time to spend time with the Lord, liar. Now, maybe pull out Revelation, sing that song to y'all. Revelation, Revelation. Y'all grew up in church like I did. Liars go to hell. Burn, burn, burn. Burn, burn, burn. Right after Father Abraham. Right? I mean, the thing is, is that you are saying that you are a lover of Jesus, that he has saved your life, and you will use the excuse. I will use the excuse. Man, I simply do not have time to spend with him today. I don't have time to be in his word today. All of those things are lies if you own a screen. Now, is there anything wrong necessarily with having a screen? No, not necessarily. How many of you, every night before you go to bed, tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to have my devotional time, I'm going to exercise, then you get up. Or don't get up. I'm not, I'll do the Jesus thing later. I'll exercise by going to the refrigerator 
to get a donut. Right? This is a curl. Right? I mean, how many of you guys, when, when, when you get up in the morning, that that's when the war really begins for your affections? See, I would say that what we do the first thing in the morning really reflects who we are and where our affections are turned toward. Because if it's our priority, guess what? We're going to sacrifice time, talent, and treasure in order to do this. And so for those of us, and I know that you're busy. Hey, I've got, I've got three jobs. I've got two kids, all right? My life is centered around something called cross-country, which you should never do. All right? Ever. Don't do it. That's just the world telling you and your kids you need to do that. All right? Because here's the thing. Your kid and you are probably not going to be in the Olympics one day. Little Johnny isn't going to play baseball one day for the major leagues. He's not going to do those things. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with necessarily, but you've got to fence those things. You've got to put boundaries around those things. Some of you are working way too much trying to duplicate and make sure that you've got enough money, and you're saying that you do not have time for the Lord. We are saying these things. Jonathan Edwards, one of my heroes in the faith, he once said this in his resolves. He resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it the most, in the most profitable way that he possibly could. Do you know what a fool is? A fool, according to the Bible, isn't somebody who doesn't know it. A fool, inside of the Scripture, is a, a person who can't truly understand themselves that they're self-justifiers, that they're blind to their own immorality, that they can't see the depths of their own sin. Along with that, a fool inside of Scripture is a person who knows the right way to do things. They know the biblical mandate. They know what is pleasing unto the Lord, and yet they refuse to do it. This is foolish. And the scripture is telling us these things, that we, we, we do not need to be fools, but we need to be wise. And a lot of that begins with how we use time. That's all I can give to that section. I wish I had much more. Verse 17. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the first thing was, is wise people walk wisely. The second thing is, wise people don't waste time. The third thing is, wise people know the will of the Lord. Wise people know the will of the Lord. Foolishness and wisdom are repeatedly contrasted in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Inside the Old Testament, if you go to the OT back there, you've got three books that we even label as what? Wisdom literature. I would encourage you to read these. There's 31 Proverbs, 31 days in most months. You can read one a day, keeps the devil away, right? I mean, so if you're looking at this idea of really exploring these wisdom, I want to encourage you with something, though. I often see people using the Proverbs like fortune cookies, and they are not. You must view the Proverbs of wisdom in view of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So just being a zinger of a proverb without the gospel or in view of Jesus, you're using that wisdom poorly. Another one that we see is the book of Ecclesiastes, right? This is a great song. You know, either, who sang that? Um, who? The, the, bird. the bird sinner, knowing that secular music. 
All right, so the birds, right? So, I mean, great song. If you've ever heard it, a lot of it's based on the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, everything's vanity, 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 this. There's a time for this, a time for that, time for this. That's another one of those wisdom books. Also, the book of Job is, is listed as, as one of those wisdom literature. If you're needing a New Testament kind of wisdom literature, the, the book of James is considered to be that. So the Bible is often contrasting this idea of, old, or, or of worldly wisdom and of, uh, of biblical wisdom. And we see this, especially, like I said, inside the Old Testament. Let me th- throw one at you. Proverbs 10, 23. A fool finds pleasure in evil conduct, but a man of understanding delights in wisdom. Our conduct then, brothers and sisters, should be influenced by the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of man. Let me tell you, let me give you a clear way of doing this. If most of the world, or if it's coming out of Hollywood or anything popular or Washington, let's just put both the coast on there, we should probably do the exact opposite. We should probably do the exact opposite of what's going on there. Evil is popular. Biblical wisdom, understanding who God is and these sorts of things, is that wise people know the will of the Lord. They know God. They know the will of the Lord. So wise people walk wisely. Wise people don't waste their time. And wise people know the will of the Lord. So how do we grow in this wisdom? How do we grow in the will of the Lord? How can we live wise lives? Taking biblical truth and actually applying it obeying it. Well, the first thing is, an application point here, is that for us to grow in wisdom, we must first and foremost, and this is the most important one, is you and I must fear God. We must fear God. Another way of putting that is that we must know God, the God of the Bible. Because I want you to know that there are lots of people out there, again, there are lots of people in the world and in the worldliness that are claiming these ideas about God that simply cannot be found inside of Scripture. We are to fear God. I believe that the Hebrew word there, often when you see it in the Old Testament, fear is the word yirah, which means this idea of reverence. It's a place of humility, a place of awe, that that is God, like Oh my goodness, it's where we get the idea of awesome. I know that we, use, we like to use that term a lot, okay? But we should only be clarifying or only should be using the word awesome in reference to God, that he is the one that utmost brings forth that sense of awe. That's what it means to be fear. It's not this idea that God is simply going to squash us, though we understand that he could and that he would be right in doing this. It is a, an, a term of respect and endearment. This is my, my father, as often as a child would toward a faithful dad. My dad loves me. My dad is for me. But my dad is also going to protect me. He is going to discipline me. And those are ways in which that he shows that he loves me. So this is the picture. It begins... With him, growing in wisdom begins in knowing the God of the Bible, understanding who he is, not through simply hearsay or someone else's experience, but through your own relationship with God of the Scripture. We encourage you over and over and over, the Scripture says, to be wise. Why? Because God's very character and his nature is that of wisdom. See, some of God's attributes... Um, cannot be passed on to you and I. 
all right? They're simply his. They're contained in who it is. Like sovereignty, okay? God is sovereign. He has authority over everything. Do you? Now, we want to, but we don't really. Okay? Um, God can be everywhere in all time, all at once. You and I can't be. But there are also characteristics and character traits and, and attributes that can be passed on to us. And, and though we are not all wise as God is all wise, he passes on to the inheritance through Jesus to his children wisdom that he gives us that we can be wise, that we can live wise lives. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. In the book of Jeremiah chapter 9, thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, um, not the, the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. In Job twenty eight twenty eight, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Brothers and sisters, friends, if you do not know God, if you do not have a, religion, a relationship with Jesus, the Bible is very clear. You are the fool in the party. That those who truly know Jesus, those who truly know the God of the Bible, that, that those are the most wise people on the planet. And that all those who do not know this God are the fool. See, false wisdom is built on a misunderstanding of who God is. False wisdom is driven by self. I mean, do we not live in a culture that is all about my life, my marriage, my singleness, my relationship with my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my, my work, uh, my money, my time, my, my abilities. It is all about me. People will boast, lie, and do whatever it takes for selfish ambition. This can't be wrong because it feels so right. This is the way that many people live. It's all about what works best for them in their situation, and yet God is declaring that this is foolishness. They're rejecting God and his truth. They're living for the here and now moment instead of with the view of eternity in its presence. How we spend our time, talent, and treasures well, often from this earthly world perspective, are all about right now. I'm a believer. I love Jesus. Jesus hasn't given me a husband yet, so I'm going to go find one, and I'm going to make him into one. I want it now. We see something shiny out there that we can't afford, and so what do we do? We go into debt for whatever that is. We're consumed with getting that. We, we, we feel bad about whatever's going on in our lives. And so in, instead of working through that, praying through that, being with the Lord through that, what do we do? We're trying to find any kind of addictive substance, whether that's drug, alcohol, meth, or food, 
or sexual activity, anything to numb this presence now instead of thinking about this in view of the gospel, in view of who God is. Like a person who's hooked up in the ER. I've had to go to the ER before. I had some kidney stones one time. I woke up in the middle of the night. I said, Laura, I'm not waiting for you to get up. I've got to go right now. So I drove myself over here to the hospital, and for the first time in my life, they hooked up an IV to my arm, and they gave me this long tube, and it had a red button on the end of it, and it had morphine in it. And they said, Mr. Baker, every time that you feel a surge of pain, all you got to do is push that button. I want you to know it was like this. <laughs> Doctor would come in, I'd be like, you need anything? No, bro, I'm good. <laughs> I'm real good. That's what we will do with things in life. When hardships come, when we're thinking like the world, man, we're trying to mask, cover up, and that can be done with a variety of things, consumerism, sexual immorality, all, 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 all of these sorts of things, how we use our time, talent, and treasure, all those sorts of things, food, all these things that we're mentioned of and haven't even come close to scratching the surface on is, is like a person who's in trauma in the ER and they're just trying to numb whatever it is. And this is all foolishness. A momentary numbing when God has something more to do inside of our lives. Understanding and how we grow, beginning with the fear of God, for us to get this wisdom, we must start with this idea, this understanding, this truth that we must first fear God. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not here to scare you, but I want you to know that you will get exactly what is coming to you. You fully deserve it. And yet God lays before you the person and work of Jesus, and he says the punishment that this so person deserves, the punishment that she deserves, the punishment that he deserves, I'm going to freely take that because they're mine and before the foundations of the earth I chose that sinful person to become my child this is the most important of wisdom is to know God and his character because see you understand God's identity we will understand our identity the ultimate outcome of the fruit of a godly wisdom in the life of the believer is that he is humbled she is humbled in submission cleaving to in profession and practice that God is wise, not us. See, the kind of wisdom that God gives his children is secondarily knowledge and practice or common sense from a biblical perspective. It is primarily wisdom in this, that God gives us the knowledge and the practice that binds us to him. A life of faith and faithfulness, a life of worship. See, wise people fear the Lord, and they want to structure all of their lives around his priorities. So how do we know his priorities? The second thing is, and practically speaking, first one was fear God. The second one, how do we grow, is this, is that we know the word of God, and we put it into practice. We know the word of God and we put it into practice. This is what makes us grow in wisdom. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, you've all heard the story from Jesus. He says, everyone then who hears the words of mine and does, not, uh, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The wise man is the one who 
hears the words of, these, of the Lord, and he does them. If you remember in that story, you've got the person who builds their house upon the sand. They don't listen to wisdom, right? And you've got the person who builds their house upon the rock. And guess what happens? The storm comes to both of those cribs. The storm comes to both of those houses. God isn't saying that the storm won't come. But who is left standing are the ones who are standing in the person and work of Jesus. They know the word and they practice the word. In Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out from God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You've got to know the word, brothers and sisters. I cannot stress this to you enough. Biblical ignorance is foolishness. I mean, we, we had a very popular pastor in recent months stand up before a congregation of thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people and pretty much say that you can write off the Old Testament. And you know what happened the Sunday after that? Everyone in that church still showed up. Because he's the talking head. He writes books, and, and some of them I have on my shelf. Some of them, there's some great truths in some of them. But if you're simply taking, if this is the only, only eating of God's word that you get is on a Sunday morning from, from a guy like me, I want you to know you are a malnourished Christian. Or you're an unbeliever. And please don't tell me you don't have time. We've squashed all of that for every one of us in this room. We do have time. The Bible, we've got to learn, brothers and sisters, to soak ourselves in the Scripture so that we know what false teaching is. We know what, how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to know how we're supposed to be in a boyfriend and girlfriend relationship. You're supposed to learn from the Scripture how, how you are to be married. I mean, even Justin Bieber can be found in New York City reading Tim Keller's marriage book this week, and the news media begins to freak out because Justin Bieber is crying in New York. And he finally came out this week and said why, and he held up the book from Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, on the book, which you should read called The Meaning of Marriage. And he read a section in it and it made him weep in public. We should be people of the word. It should bring conviction. It should bring repentance. We need to be soaked in it. You have to ask yourself this question. Whatever you're doing on this day, if you were to equate the amount of time that you have spent watching TV this week, on movies, on social media, playing video games, does that equate or is it even close to the amount of time that you have spent in God's word? Right? How many times this week have you seen people jump out of perfectly good moving vehicles to dance? Please don't tell me that you have a problem with memorization, Kiki. We can remember song lyrics from secular groups. Brothers, listen to me. We quote movies, and we say we can't memorize Scripture. There should be deep conviction in this place today. 
Some of you guys can tell me stats from teams that you don't even root for. Write this down. Don't tweet it because it'll go to my head. Just telling you the truth. A life with a pattern. This is, this is Dr. E.K. Bishop Baker right here. A life of a, with a pattern of not being in God's word will have a pattern of not being in God's will. A life with a pattern of not being in God's word will have a pattern of not being in God's will. Brothers and sisters, I love you, but this is evident as we pastor you. We've got to know God. We've got to know God's word. We've got to put God's word into practice. The third thing is, is to pray for wisdom. And I'm going to have to go through these very quickly. The third thing, how do you grow? Pray for wisdom. King Solomon, wisest man to ever live, right? Wrote the Proverbs, wrote Ecclesiastes, wrote Song of Solomon. Don't let your kids read that one yet. King Solomon, how does he become wise? Well, in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7, he asked God to make him wise because he was being established at the king and the brother was broken because he realized he wasn't smart enough on his own to lead these people. And so what does God do? He makes him wise. In Colossians 1.9, And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Paul praying for the church in Colossians. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Oh, Jesus, make me wise. Make me wise with my time, talent, and treasure. Help me redeem all of those things in a culture that is telling me to do other things. The fourth thing is this. If we want to grow in our wisdom and understanding of the Lord, we've got to walk with other wise people. We've got to walk with the wise. Is there anybody in your relationship that you kind of, maybe even from a distance, that you go, man, I want to be more like he or she in their relationship with Jesus? Man, when I hear about their prayer life, when I hear about their understanding of the Scripture, when I hear about their personal evangelism, when I hear about how they're pastoring their people or how they're loving their wives, that there's an aspiration there, that's not unbiblical. Even Proverbs would tell us in chapter 13, verse 20, whoever walks with the wise become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Get better friends. Kids, that's why your parents are like, no, you can't go to his house. He's crazy. That's why your parents are saying things like, no, not unless we know their parents can you go over there. Isn't she shady? No, you can't be friends with her. Why? Because foolishness rubs off much quicker than wisdom. Can I get an amen? God is all about us. He's slow in the way that he does things. The world is fast. He says you've got to be careful. Walk with wise people. In Psalm 1, I can't read it. I wish we could. Don't walk in the council of wicked. Be like the tree planted by the streams of water. You'll grow fruit. It's a great passage. I love it. 
Proverbs eleven fourteen. Where there is no guidance, a, peace, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Brothers and sisters, friends, I say this with all the love that I can muster in my heart. If you want to keep acting like a fool, keep being around fools. What is the common reality or attribute that is often found in these two guys? When Michael Jordan is on your team or LeBron James, they make everyone else better. Scrubs become world champions. I'm from the 90s. There's a guy named Will Perdue on the Bulls. Got rings. Bill Cartwright. Shoot like that right there. All right? But you know who was on his team? Michael the Goat Jordan. Michael Jordan. LeBron James made it to the finals this year. Why? With a bunch of scrubs. Why? Because when there is wisdom on the team, it elevates the the playability. It elevates where everyone else is as well. It makes everyone better. That's why teenagers don't need to be getting advice from teenagers. That's why you don't need to be getting advice from your marriage or how to do relationships or any of those things from non-Christians or how to spend your money or time or any of those things. You should be finding that inside of the scripture, and also walking alongside of people who are doing it better than you are, and you will in turn see yours get better. The fifth thing, the last thing, how will you grow? You will become wise when you become a fool for Jesus. You will become wise when you become a fool for Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Brothers and sisters, are you willing to be called a fool in the world? Are we, as, as, as this culture that we're living in, we see this all the time in our news media, in our conversations, in all sorts of things. We're living in a time, in a, in a season, in a culture where they're saying things like the scripture is merely an ancient book that is filled with fables and myths and that, that it's not meant to be taken literally for today's. It has no bearing on current culture. The scripture should have no influence on the definition of marriage or love or choice or politics or money or modesty and such. Daily, the influence of the world and its worldly wisdom is, is pressuring, deceiving, and leading, leading many so-called Christians down a path of foolishness. See, brothers and sisters, my fear is that in Western Christianity it has become more normal. Remember being told this as a kid? Early to bed, early to rise will make you a man healthy, wealthy and wise. There may be some benefits in that, but I want you to know that if you begin to continually to follow the Western idea of wisdom, you will not be healthy, wealthy, and wise in Christ, but you will be obese, broke, and foolish. Foolish. See, brothers and sisters, we got to be willing to be crazy We've got to be willing to go against the, the norm. There is a way, according to the book of Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, 
is a way that leads to death. Brothers and sisters, we, we have got to get this. This has been one of those underlying repetitive themes that has been inside of the series that we've been doing is that, that we have got to get this and we've got to understand that we are called to be fools for the person and work of Jesus, that the world is going to say you're crazy. The, these people have gone off the deep end, that they're holy rollers, that they're, you know, they're not current, they're not relevant, they're not any of these sorts of things. But brothers and sisters, we have got to make Christianity weird again. We have lost our weird to use a biblical example, Jesus would say that we have lost our saltiness. See, the term there is saltiness was to be, we were to preserve the earth in the way that God initially had it for us. I mean, it is our culture that is telling us that we need to buy these certain things that we need to live in these certain houses, that we need to continue this kind of constantly, all, all, all of this is being pressured from us over and over and over again when the Bible is saying that this is, this is foolishness. I looked at my daughter this week, and as Laura and I have really been taking some of this to, to major heart, we are trying to change uh, drastically some things in our lives. And I, I looked at my daughter this week, I said, here's the thing, Ava, is like in, in several short years, you're going to be going to college. But I want you to know one thing that we're not going to do that the culture is going to tell you to do over and over and over again, and that is to go in debt to go into college. And you know what that is? Dumb. So you need to work hard so we can get some scholarships. We're going to work hard to ensure that if all possible, that you're going to graduate from Western Kentucky University, Harvard, wherever you go, Lindsay Wilson School of Cosmetology, I don't care, but not be in debt to do it. It's not going to happen. We're going to fight that in every way. We've got to become weird. Again, are we seeing Christ in his glory as the ultimate and supreme purpose of our lives? Can we as a church begin to redeem our time, talent, and treasure? Mission Church, let's get crazy for a minute. What if we as a church in here didn't waste our time? What if we as a church in here that, that no one in our church had a house payment? So you think that's crazy. No, I think that's Bible. What if, what if all of us in here, I mean, just looking at money alone, what if, what if we got so radical as a community of believers that none of us were in debt? You think we'd have a building today? Yes. We probably have several of them because we've planted multiple, multiple churches. You think more people would be hearing the gospel from our lips if we, we made better use of our time? Yes. All these things, I'm talking about radical stuff. I'm talking about the, the time when, when people say, man, if they do ask you about the, the, the newest sh you know, television show or the radio, what's playing, that you have no t idea that it literally, as a group of people, that we become really cool at being uncool. I remember as a kid, my parents used to try to buy me some clothes at Walmart. I'd be like, oh, no, mm. I go to Franklin. I ain't buying no clothes at Walmart. That's all the world. That's all the world. 
But what happens when we become so foolish for Jesus that he is our everything, that we're willing to be a fool for Christ when the news media, when the friends, professors, family, coworkers are, are hurling insults, not just broadcasting, but directly at us, that, that we will be honest, that we will be not grow weary at doing what is good, but that you and I are willing to go just completely foolish for the person and work of Jesus in order that we may be freed up to be more wise and more beneficial because see we will be workaholics at the thing that we seem most importantly and let be lazy at the things of God and God is saying to be wise don't give up keep fighting make daily choices every decision of every moment that you see that in view of the gospel that you see it in view of eternity and no matter how difficult how tough it may be in the moment that you know that in eternity's perspective that you're making the right decision because you don't see nothing more foolish than the cross itself that that was God's plan couldn't he have come up with something better and yet he deems that the cross itself is perfect perfect in view of that cross may we be willing to take up our cross and to die daily for him. Mission Church, let's become really uncool. Let's get really weird. Let's get really back to the basics, back to the Bible, back to wisdom, back to the way that things are supposed to be. Because when Jesus is high and lifted up in all of those things, what does he tell us? That he will draw all men and women unto us. We should have the best marriages we should be the best daddies, the best mommies, the best singles. I think about people in foreign countries who ladies, a lot of, typically a lot of ladies come to Christ first for whatever reason, and some of them will go their entire lives not being married, not because they don't want to be, but they, they understand that we're not going to go out here and get a joker just for the sake of feeling some purpose that we have right now. That's foolish. To the world, but it's wise to the one who is wise. Wisdom personified, his name is Jesus. And I'd much rather be a fool than to be full of just worldly wisdom that is leading to death. Let's be wise. Let's not be fools. If there are areas that you need to repent of, that means change from. You need to do it. I need to do it. I've wasted a lot of time this week. Let's become foolishness for Christ's sake. Because we love him so much. Will you join me? Let's pray. Lord.